Let me invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. Now, I know Christmas is behind us, but this week I, I find myself thinking about it and, and what happens often when it comes to that time of opening presents. And, and really, for parents, this is one of the, your worst nightmares <laughs> that can ruin Christmas. So imagine uh, it's November and your kid comes to you and they want one gift. There's just one thing they want. And it's the hottest, hottest toy on the market. It talks, it, it moves around. It's an amazing toy. In fact, uh, I remember when I graduated high school, I didn't want one of these because I was too old for it. You guys remember Tickle Me Elmo? 1996. Oh, that tickles. <laughs> you remember that? Then it would like shake and giggle. I'll be here all week, by the way. So uh, that was like, in 96, that was the hottest toy. I mean, everybody wanted it. And so imagine your kid comes to you, and they want a Tickle Me Elmo. And so every day, they're reminding you what they want. So the pressure's on as a parent. You know, when, you're, when your kid only says one thing, when they give like a massive list, you're like, okay, I got some freedom to choose from. Uh, but imagine going to all the stores, and there's not one in sight. They're sold out everywhere. There's one more store that, has, that, you, that, that maybe they have one. And so as you're walking into the store, you're praying fiercely, Lord, please, let it miraculously be there. But really, you've got no hope at this point. But to your utter amazement, you get to the, the toy aisle, and there is one left, and you swoop up and grab it. And so now, your anticipation for Christmas has just gone through the roof. You can't wait till that morning. So time passes, Christmas comes, and it's that time for this child to open this gift, and you are beyond the moon, and it does not disappoint. They open it, they burst into tears and run to you and give you this big hug. They're so thankful, but as they're coming, you notice on the box three words that are about to ruin your Christmas. Anybody know, dads? You know what those three words might be? Batteries not included. And you read it for the first time at that moment, and your kid's like, dad, can we open this and put the batteries in? And you're like, I don't have any batteries, and you just ruined Christmas. And now this toy is, is, is worthless on Christmas Day. You can't go to the store. The stores are closed. And then this gift is no good because there's no power to allow that, the kid to play with the gift. Well, well, praise God, that is not how he works out our salvation. Not only does he rescue us from our sins, but he gives us what we need to pursue godliness. Last week we started uh, our series in 2 Peter and I just gave it the, the whole book, kind of this, this thought, this theme. Grow in the knowledge of God and live it out. Here's the title for this morning. Grow in godliness through God's amazing promises. You see, we are called to grow in godliness but he doesn't leave us on our own. He's given us his word that is full of these amazing Truths. And so let's look at this text together. Uh, I'm going to read 2 Peter 1, 3 through 11, but we're only going to focus on 3 and 4. So let me read that all in context here. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. 
For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you this morning for the amazing truths we've already sung about. The chains are released. We can sing, we are free, yet not I, but through Christ in us. Lord, we have everything we need in in Jesus, and yet, Lord, we're tempted. We're tempted to think that we need other things, that we need Jesus plus fill in the blank. Lord, this, this morning, remind us that you have not left us to our own devices. Lord, you did not just save us and then disappear, but you are ever present help, a very present help in time of need. And so this morning, would you remind us of the greatness of your word? that we would be encouraged this morning. Not just encouraged for today, but Lord, may it spur in us a love for your word that would flow over into everyday practices of being a student of your word, of loving your word, of loving your promises and gleaning on them daily. For in that, Lord, we will grow in godliness. God, we need you this morning, and we thank you for the hope that we have, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as I mentioned, the the title this morning is Grow in Godliness Through God's Amazing Promises. We're going to focus a little bit on the foundation of this knowledge that we are called to pursue. Where does it come from? What kind of knowledge are we talking about? And why is it so important in helping us to grow in godliness? Here's the first thing that we see. God's power gives us what we need for godliness. God's power gives us what we need for for godliness. Look at verse three. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We have everything we need to grow in Christ. When we repent of our sins and place our faith in Christ, Jesus gives us everything we need to live a life that honors him. We are lacking nothing to grow up in Christ. Christ is sufficient. Notice that it takes divine power to have what we need. This is not something that we can come up with on our own. And we say this all the time around here. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's what we read in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. But God doesn't just rescue us and leave us out to dry on an island. Through his divine power, we have everything we need for living a godly life. How many of you hate starting new jobs? 
I hate, I hate starting new jobs. Even jobs that I wanted and anticipating being a part of, I still hate the start of it. Because you just, you just never know what you're going to step into. And if you've had more than one job, and you've had different kinds of bosses, you're like, oh, Lord, please, please don't give me a boss like that, where, where you just kind of pray daily that they're on vacation or gone, you know what I mean? Uh, you just don't know. Like, I, I, I dread those first days on new jobs, and sometimes, like, I especially hate being thrown into jobs where it's like, okay, you got to figure this out on your own. Like, now, so for some of you doers who are just so driven by doing stuff, you're like, I'll figure it out, I'm going to go. For me, I'm like, can we just spend the next two weeks, you can explain everything that I need to know. How does this all work so that my little thing that has nothing to do with most of it will be effective for me? <laughs> Anybody relate with me on that? Like, I want to know everything. And I remember when I first stepped into ministry, uh, it's one thing, I, I studied youth ministry at Grace College, it's one thing to study it, it's a whole other thing to be thrown into being a youth pastor. And I remember, like, that first day, just staring at these kids, and they're like, man, these kids have problems. I forgot how weird middle school is, too. And, and it's like, and I was just kind of left on my own, like, hey, you go figure your thing out. I get it now. Why? It's like, oh, those, those middle school kids, I don't know, except for you, Elijah. You're, Elijah's great. <laughs> it, it's like, it was hard to be thrown into. This is not what Jesus does. He doesn't just save us, and then like, good luck. No, he gives us what we need in order to thrive in this world. And we've got to fight against the temptation that we're just going to pull up ourselves by our own bootstraps. Here's the thing. Salvation is all God. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And he made us alive. We weren't pursuing after him, and yet he stepped in and rescued us. But listen, with our sanctification... The process of becoming more like Jesus, we participate in that. We have a responsibility to put effort into growing in godliness. And the good news for us is that God's divine power has given us what we need to grow, batteries included. Now, within this first phrase, I don't want us to miss something here. Peter is pointing out that, that we have a need. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain. So there's certain things that are needed to pursue godliness, to live a life that pleases the Lord. Like we have a need. We need God to, to help us in this process. It's not just all about being saved. There is a maturing process that must, must happen in the life of a believer. So here, here's a better way of saying it even. As a true believer, you will grow in godliness. It's a fact. If, if there's true conversion, you will grow. Think of it from a, a point of, of, a, of a newborn. When you were, came out of the womb, like first of all, what part did you play in the, in the conception of yourself? Nothing. You just showed up on the scene. You had nothing to do with it. And when you were born, your, your mother would feed you, your, your father would give you a bottle. Listen, you couldn't provide that for yourself, but yet you had to respond by eating, right? If, a, if you don't eat food, we die. But a healthy baby does what? It grows. As believers, we will grow if the truth has truly affected our lives. And so I, I ask you, as you look back to the day that God rescued you, is there evidence of growth and godliness in your life? Are you a different person today than you were at the point of your salvation? 
Are you leaning into the power that God has provided for you to grow? If not, the best thing I can say to you this morning is to take some time to evaluate your life. Perhaps genuine salvation never took place, because here's the thing that we know is true. Healthy Christians, true Christians, will grow. The Holy Spirit is not going to keep you the same. God's power gives us what we need to grow in godliness. Look at verse 3 again. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So, so where does this, like what, what kind of power is this? Uh, where does this growth come from? Well, here's what we see in the second part of verse 3. Growth in godliness comes through the knowledge of God. How do we grow up in Jesus? We grow in our understanding of who God is. We become students of his word. As a church, we must not underestimate the importance of growing in the knowledge of God. You know, with all the warnings that there are of becoming an intellectual without heart transformation, that shouldn't diminish the importance that we have in being students of the word, to understanding and knowing the Bible. You see, one extreme that we can have in the Christian life is just to go focus all on serving. Just go out and serve. That's just what you got to do. Just go serve. Preach the gospel using your actions. Certainly our actions good, yes, but that's not the whole story. That's one extreme that we could fall on. Uh, I was, as I was watching the Super Bowl, there was a, a highly controversial ad that came on. Perhaps you Notice it too, it came from the website hegetsus.com. Uh, in, in this commercial, it's all these pictures, there's music in the background, and you just see these pictures of different people washing the feet of others. And at the very end were these words. I'm like very intrigued as I'm watching this, and at the very end are these words that appeared on the screen. Jesus didn't teach hate, he washed feet. Have you seen that? And it was just like, what, what are they... What are they trying to communicate? Are they, are they focusing on, hey, stop preaching all the time and go to work, do something? Like, are, and, and what hate are they referring to? Are they hate about calling people out for their sin? And I'm thinking, well, Jesus, not only did he wash feet, he actually called people out for sin, too. You remember the woman at the well? He just meets her, and he's not like, hey, I want to give, give you life. The water of life, I want to give you life eternal. Is that all Jesus said? No, he said, hey, you, you, you've had five husbands and you're living with someone who's not your husband. Jesus called her out. So, like, what do they mean by, by hate? Like, Jesus didn't preach hate and he, he washed feet. And so I, I decided, like, you know what? It's not good to just go by what you see. You should, what is this website? Perhaps it's stirring up conversations to have, which honestly I think as Christians we should be slow to just critique that with unbelievers who are coming asking questions and be quick to fill in the gaps. But to my disappointment, as I looked to the website, it was more confusing. It didn't really bring clarity on, like, what was Jesus all about? Jesus wasn't just all about doing. Jesus was also about proclaiming the word. Like, how can you respond in repentance unless you hear the word? So how can, it, it, how can people experience the grace of God in their lives? They need to hear about Jesus. 
And with that comes the exposure of the fact that we are all sinners. Like, we need to be confronted with our sinfulness. The world wants to call that hate speech, but we call it the gospel. We have sinned against a holy, perfect God, certainly, I, I think I understand the message of like Christians who want to preach the truth and they do it hatefully. I get that. But we, we don't deny the fact that we are sinners. In fact, we cannot deny that. Now, what I did appreciate about it is that there is a call to serve. We can't just preach and do nothing about it. Here's where knowledge and service come together as we truly grow in godliness that affects our hearts. It changes us more and more into the image of Christ. And as our hearts change, it leads us to action. Remember what we talked about last week? From our head to our heart to our hands. Like, this is what genuine Christians do. Godliness is not just you know a bunch of stuff. Listen, you could be the most brilliant person in the, in the room here. You could have the whole Bible memorized, but if you preach in such a way that your life is a different message, then you are nothing more than a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal that we read about in 1 Corinthians 13. But nevertheless, we must speak the truth. We come to growth and godliness through the knowledge of God, not just by doing, right? There's a section of Christianity where people think you got to do in order to earn your salvation, and we know that's absolutely not true. I love what, and I can't remember who said it now, but we are saved by grace alone, but saving faith is never alone. Anybody know who said that? You know who said that? Drawing a blank. I'll, it'll hit me later, but anyway. Saving grace is never alone. The problem is we, we live in this pendulum swinging world and we go from one extreme to another. People have been so burned by people beating them over the head with the Bible that we focus on we just got to do. We don't need the church. Let's just do. Let's just love one another. And love has nothing to do with speaking the truth in, in those manners. That, that's one extreme of just doing. The other extreme is to just be so hyper-focused on the truth that we are destroying people with God's word instead of loving them through preaching the word. It's both and. We can't go from one extreme to the other. And, and the reality is, if we're going to grow in godliness, we've got to grow in the knowledge of God. And In fact, there's a, just a very intriguing verse here. But before we get to that, let me just ask a couple questions. Are you in the word of God on a regular basis? Is it saturating your soul? Are you learning about who your Savior is? Are you observing how your Savior lived his life? He both taught the truth and he lived out the message. And listen, he, he was God, yet what did he often do? He often withdrew from the crowds to do what? To pray to be with his father. Listen, if Jesus did that, how much more do we need to get away with our heavenly father? And I just find this verse so striking, and it's, we don't have time to dig in, but it really makes you think. Luke 2, 52, this is about Jesus. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Isn't that an intriguing verse? Like, how did Jesus grow? I thought he was God incarnate, and he absolutely is. We are called to grow in godliness through the knowledge of God. Sometimes I feel like a broken record, but I think it's worth repeating over and over again. 
we don't trip into godliness. We don't accidentally wake up one morning and we look like Jesus and we don't know how. Believe me, I, I wish it was. I wish I could go to the store, find a pill, godliness pill, and wake up and I look like him. I, I wish that would happen. I wish that I could just plug into something and all of a sudden, instantly, I become like Jesus, but that's not how it works. God seasons us through our time in the word, through our time in fellowship with him. He seasons us through his Holy Spirit who encourages us and convicts us. He allows hard times to come, as we saw in 1 Peter, in order to conform us into the image of his son. Godliness is a process, and God has given us everything we need to grow up in him through the knowledge of Christ. Be a student of the word. Be a lover of the word. If you aren't growing, perhaps you've grown stagnant in your walk with Christ, let me just present two possibilities. Maybe there are more, but here's kind of two main possibilities. If you are not growing in godliness, not experiencing God's power in your life, number one, you aren't a true believer. Somehow you've been messing around, playing the church thing, but you, you remain unchanged. And if that's you, please, it's worth your time this week to seek the Lord. It's worth your time to seek counsel from another brother or sister in Christ to walk through that with you. Another possibility, which many of us, if not, I would say all of us, go through this season, is that we've just been neglecting his word. We've been neglecting spending time with him. So, of course, like a relationship where you neglect to talk with one another, that relationship is going to have some hardships. If we're not talking with the Lord, not meeting with the Lord, we shouldn't expect godliness to come out of that. In fact, we don't stand still as believers. We're either moving forward or we are drifting. We are in the current against the world. What happens when you're in a current and you lift your feet off the ground? What happens? You drift. We are fighting against the current of this world. You are either growing or you are drifting. There's no neutrality. Pursue the Lord. Now listen, this God is worth pursuing. Look what he has called us to again. He's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness by his divine power through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. We have a mighty powerful God who is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our time. Turn with me to Romans chapter 11. Romans is such a glorious book. One day, maybe we'll go through it. To be honest, I'm scared because it is so deep, so rich, and we're going to spend more time later today in Romans. But Romans 11, verse 33 and following, let me just read that for us. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable his ways. You know, some people are like, well, you can't answer everything about God. And I'm like, you're absolutely right. If we could sit here and come up with a list, bring a whiteboard out, and completely define God, don't you think God would kind of lose the power? And we could define him on a on a whiteboard, that can't happen. His 
judgments are unsearchable. His ways are inscrutable. You can't look at God and start taking him apart. Like, he's so glorious. He's so much above us. And the riches of wisdom and knowledge, they are so deep. Verse 34, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? You see, some people try to put their, their thinking, they use man's wisdom and try to see what God has done and they look at God's word and they see the violence that we see and they look at it through their own lens and they can't understand. Or they think they understand and they think they can find who God is and how he is. But listen, who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Is, is that a question or is this like a, we already know the answer to it. We, we know the answer. Nobody has known the mind of the Lord. Nobody can be his counselor. Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? As if, could we repay God? This is why we can't earn salvation, because we, we can't possibly repay him for our sinfulness. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. We will never be able to fully define God. We will never exhaust his greatness. We will spend a lifetime studying God's word and always have something to learn of him. And listen, when we open up God's word, we are encountering our incredible savior. We're interacting with our creator, the one who is sovereign over all things, the one who has no rival, the one who has no equal. Listen, this is why I try not to say God is number one because there is no number two. You can't have a number one if there's no number two. God is all. He is the greatest. He is, he is above all things. There's, there's no, nothing that can even compare to him. Growth and godliness comes through the knowledge of God, a knowledge that we will never exhaust. Now, for some of you, Learning facts is not your favorite things. I remember school, like, you remember, like, learning certain facts. You're like, why? Well, I'll never remember this, but I'm going to do it because I've got to do it for the test. And that can feel like, man, that doesn't sound very life-changing. Well, if that's you, Peter continues in verse 4. So his divine power has granted us everything we need for life through the knowledge of him who called us his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. Here's the next thing. God's word gives us amazing promises. God's word gives us amazing promises. Why do we want to grow in the knowledge of God? Because then we find out the incredible hope that we have in Christ. Peter calls his promises precious they're valuable they deserve to be on the forefront of everything they need to be on full display growing up as a kid my mom had a curio cabinet in the corner of the room are those even a thing anymore those feel like like an old thing but in this curio cabinet she had a bunch of precious moment figures how many of you had those remember those uh they're just i don't know how to explain it um these glass figures, and they just meant different things. They were, like, scriptures were on it. They, you might have parents, you might have kids on, on these, these glass figurines. And my mom loved them. They were important. They were valuable. And so she put them in this curio cabinet that lit up so that you would pay attention to it. You'd be drawn to it. So you'd come, and what would people do? They'd say, oh, what's in the curio cabinet? It, it just drew your attention. This is what Peter is calling us to do. He's like, look at the glorious promises that we have. 
It's how we should treat God's promises. They're not something you want to miss out on. And so we hide them in our hearts. We write them down in our Bibles. We write them on note cards. We place those note cards on our mirrors or in our cars. Some even get tattoos. Not that I'm recommending that. Permanently remember God's promises. We buy T-shirts and and coffee mugs. My kids have bracelets with letters on them that represent the first letter of words of Scripture so that they can remember God's promises. They are great promises. We cling to them. They're beyond anything that we can come up with on our own. And the promises that we make are not like God's promises. The promises parents make are not like these promises from God. Isn't it amazing that you can promise your kids something that they will never forget, and yet you could tell them to clean the room 30 minutes later, nothing's been touched, and you go ask them, why didn't you clean your room? And what do they say? I forgot. And yet they'll come to you and say, hey, Dad, 16 days ago at 4.26 p.m., you said that you're going to take us to ice cream. Like, what? <laughs> 30 minutes later, you forget to clean your room, but you remember that, okay? Why? Why do they remember that? Because we remember what we value. We remember what we treasure. We remember the things that we love. We, don't, we might forget about an important meeting that's coming up because we're trying to put it out of our mind because of what may come, but we're not forgetting about vacation that's coming up in six months. We value that. And so we cling to that. And so we need to understand these promises are precious. They're very great. What an incredible treasure that we have in the knowledge of God. So what exactly are these precious and very great promises? Let's just visit a few, starting with our salvation. And I just want to, right off the bat, we're, gonna, we're not even going to scratch the surface. And yet, I, I think I show promises that could last us for the rest of our lives, gleaning on, and, and we would never exhaust it. And I'm just giving you a very small sample so I'm going to go, I might go through these somewhat fast, so don't turn through them. I'll have them on the screen. You can write them down and revisit them later. But consider the promises of Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Listen, we, we have no business in the kingdom of God apart from Christ. And if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the scriptures promise that you will be saved. You have an eternity with our Savior. This is a promise that you can take home. It's, 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 it's true. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If Romans 10, 9 and 10 is true for you, then even though you will face Death because of your own sin physically, eternally, you will live forever spiritually through the free gift of salvation through Christ. Romans 5, 8, but God showed his love for this and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, he didn't wait for you to get it together. (laughs) That day will never come. He got it together for you and then he opened your eyes to see the glorious grace of Christ And he leads you to repentance. This is the gift from him. You were a sinner when he paid the price for you. And he opened his eyes. You'll open your eyes to see that truth. 
1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that amazing? All unrighteousness he cleanses cleanses us from. Not a sin remains. When God looks at you, if you've truly done Romans 10, 9, and 10, all he sees is the righteousness of his son. I love Philippians 1, 6. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, who, who began that good work? God. He, uh, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Here's the promise, believer. You will be saved. He will complete the work that he started in you. You may feel like, I can't get this together. Look, there's times where I feel that way. I look back, I'm like, why can't I get this right? I, I see growth, but like, why do I keep struggling? And then I'm reminded, he, he who began, he, he'll complete it. Keep pursuing him. Repent. And he keeps growing me. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Let's just back a couple. We've got James right before here and then Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4. This is such a beautiful scripture. I love Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Let me just read that for us here. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Isn't that amazing? How many high up people sympathize with those below them? It's not, it's not something I see very often. You have the King of Kings, the perfect Savior. He did everything right. There was no sin in his mouth. Never did he curse somebody who cut him off. He was perfectly righteous and holy. If anyone should look at us with disgust, it's Jesus, and yet he sympathizes with us. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Don't you find that staggering? I mean, if we all started thinking of our sins from this last week, the pen would go on and on. And yet, he was tempted in every way. That's why he sympathizes with you. He understands. And yet, he never gave in. Let us then, here's the good news, brothers and sisters, with confidence draw near. We don't have to crawl in shame. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Brothers and sisters, did you walk in here in need of grace? Did you walk in here in need of mercy? You can go boldly before the throne of grace. Why? Because Jesus paid the price that you could not pay. What a promise. Now let me invite you to turn to, if this is okay to say, the greatest chapter in Scripture, Romans chapter 8. This should not be true for us. But through Christ it is. Romans 8.1, and we're going to read through several verses here. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How much condemnation? None. No condemnation. If you're in Christ this morning, yes, you, you may look at shame at what you've done this week. And we should repent. Earlier in Romans he says, shall we go on sinning that grace may abound by no means? 
but we don't have to dwell around in our sin and beat ourselves up. I used to give myself, okay, you got three days, Ben, to get over this, but you're going to dwell in the dirt for three days, and it's like, there's no condemnation for those in Christ. Verse 28 And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. What works for good for the believers? All things. Isn't that amazing? There's junk that happens to us all day long, and yet God uses them for our good. What an amazing thing. Like, what can man do to you? That's not an opportunity for us to stand in arrogance. It's a chance for us to stand in humility. Verse 31 and following, so rich. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Is Paul asking a question for us to think about? What's the answer to that? God is for us. Who could be? Could this, could my boss be against me? How about my, my spouse? No, Paul's not asking a question. The answer is clear. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Think about that believer. You have needs in order to grow in godliness. If God gave his, it didn't even spare his own son, how will we not graciously give, give you what you need to grow? How will we not give you what you need to survive the tragedy that you faced? He's a very present help in time of need. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God. This is amazing. Who indeed is interceding for us? Son of God with his hands and with his feet is pleading before the Father on your behalf. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written for your sake we are being killed all the day long we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered no in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us here's what Paul's not saying he's not saying hey you're the king's kid I'm going to spare you from tribulation I'm going to I'm going to spare you from distress and persecution famine and nakedness I'm not going to let that happen to you that's not what it says here He says, man, even if these things come, guess what? Nothing will separate you from the love of Christ. We are more than conquerors through Christ, right? Not on our own. Some people take this and they want to puff themselves up. This is not to puff ourselves up. It's just to realize, man, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. This persecution that I'm facing, Jesus has not left me. He's not separated me from the love of Christ. For I am sure of this, neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? We've just scratched the surface. But what amazing promises that could carry us until the day that we die if we just clung to those. When we fail to seek the Lord in his word, we miss out on these things. We forget them. I think one reason why so many Christians struggle in their Christian life is because we forget the promises. And we allow our feelings and our emotions to dictate truth. We aren't being informed by the reality and the truth of God's word. Instead, we're being informed by something else. Perhaps we're allowing our circumstances to speak louder than God's word. 
God has given us amazing promises. So how do these promises work? Why is it important for us to know them? And I'll try to end here quickly. We see this. God's promises help us to fight off sin. God's promises help us to fight off sin. Look at verse 4 again, the end. By which he has granted us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world. First of all, praise God for his faithfulness to his people. If you are a true believer in Christ, those promises are true for you, and ultimately he will take us home to the place that he is preparing for us even now. That's why they're promises. He will do what he says. One day we will have a full divine nature. This doesn't mean we're going to be like God. Like, it doesn't mean we're going to be God, but it means we're going to have, we're going to be like him. We're going to have the corruption completely done away with in our lives. And some of us enjoy that today more than others. Here's what I mean. For those who are pursuing God regularly, and leaning on his promises will experience growth and godliness at a greater pace than those who aren't. Growth and godliness comes when we pursue God's word and we remember his promises and we lean on them on a regular basis. I think it's no accident that our world is struggling deeply with anxiety and fear and despair. Not to put a blanket over why people deal with that, but I think a major reason why Christians struggle is because they aren't leaning on the promises of God. The word says, trust in the Lord with all of your hearts. Lean not on your own understanding. Don't lean on your own understanding. We have the promises of God and we miss out. And those who are dwelling on his word and remembering his promises are thriving in godliness more than those who don't. Again, praise God that he will save those whom he started the good work. But my, my fear for many Christians is that 1 Corinthians 3.15 will be true for you. If anyone works anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Listen, my, my desire is that you can ex start experiencing some of the abundant life today. You're going to stumble. You're going to fall. But we grow in godliness as we pursue his word, as we lean on his promises, as we trust them to be true So what do you want in your life? Do you want to escape just as by fire? Or do you want to thrive for the glory of God while we live on this earth? While people are watching and you're able to give a testimony to like, man, I was once blind. I was once dead. But Christ made me alive. Don't lift me up. This is the work of the Spirit in me. So as we close today, let me remind you that God's power has given you everything you need to grow up in him. And that growth comes through the knowledge of God, knowledge that leads us to understand how amazing his promises are for us. And as we cling to these amazing promises, we will grow in godliness. We will take on more and more divine nature, and we will fight off corruption and sin in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we, we know 
in our, when we're in our right minds, how unworthy we are of your grace and mercy. And yet, because of Christ, we can boldly come to you to find grace and mercy in time of need. And Lord, my prayer for those here is that we would not just go about our lives enjoying the pleasures of this world, but that we would grow in godliness. And Father, that's not going to happen by us tripping into it. It's going to happen by us pursuing you and clinging to your promises and believing them, reminding ourselves, reminding one another. Lord, so much of godliness, it's got to start in our minds and Lord, I pray that they wouldn't stay up there, Lord. There's a lot of people here who know a lot of facts, but Lord, would you move that to our hearts that would ultimately change our actions? We can't just claim knowledge and have a life that looks completely different than that of what we proclaim. And so, God, would you allow that knowledge to change our hearts and to change our actions? And Lord, we find great hope in the promise that you who began a good work will bring it to completion. And Father, we thank you, because ultimately we know that the battle has already been won. And so God, we are more than conquerors through Christ. Thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me invite you to stand now as we sing in response.